Bulletproof backpacks are all the rage for back-to-school shopping. We'll talk about that. The Dow was down for the fourth straight day. Ooh, we're going to talk about that. Oil had its worst day in four years. We're going to talk about that. We'll talk about the Gilroy Garlic Festival, which was a happy occasion that we highlighted last week. That, of course, has turned into a tragedy as supposedly another white nationalist has decided to open fire on an innocent group of people. Uh, We'll talk the Fed cut. We'll talk what that looks like moving forward. Gold is holding up beautifully, sitting at 1440 as we speak. This is Gerardo Del Real along with my co-host, Mr. Nick Hodge, and this is episode 30 of Bizarro World. Nick, how are you, sir? I'm having a great sell-off, Gerardo. As you know, when we discussed, I sold some of my retirement funds last week, and so I'm feeling a bit smart today, although I know I'm not. I love it. So let me ask you this. Let's get right into the dive into the markets, right? We talked last week about the fact that you were going to sit tight, sit on some cash for a little bit and be opportunistic on the juniors that you added. Now that gold is decisively above 1400, it's at 1440 um, following the Fed cut. And we'll talk about that, right? To the surprise of nobody this month, we were writing about that two years ago that the, the Fed was backing itself up into this corner. But um, you know, with gold holding that 1440 line, some of the juniors have reacted, a lot have not. Um, is there anything out there that tempts you to allocate some of that capital into a high risk sector like the junior resource space? Um, there's a lot of cheap junior companies out there that haven't moved yet. There's a, a gentleman who I like to read every Friday who sends his stuff out, David Erfley, who was writing last week that, um, when fund money comes back into the sector as it's starting to do, but particularly towards the end of the summer when fund managers get back from the Hamptons and start looking at their screens once again, that perhaps they'll go right to the junior names because at this point, now that the Barracks and the Numas and the Agnikos and the Kinrosses, et cetera, have had a bit of a move, um, that some of the better run juniors with higher quality assets in better jurisdictions with better share structures now present a better risk to reward Uh, ratio than some of the larger companies. And so um, if you want me to start out with names at the beginning of the podcast, we could certainly do that. A company I've spent a lot of time with looking at over the past week was Revival Gold. I mean, Mm. it's just insanely cheap when its peers are trading at something like $48 per uh, ounce of gold in the the and it's trading at something like $10 or thereabouts, something ridiculously cheap when it's you know, it was a former mine. It's a it's a brownfield asset, so it's inherently less risky than a greenfield. There is infrastructure there. There's leach pads there. There's, in fact, mineralized, crushed ore sitting on the leach pads. Um, I mean, I could just keep going. <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to cut in real quick uh, yeah. because, yeah, the leach store sitting on the on on the pad there is equivalent to its entire market cap if they were to sell that. By the way, right. you get the infrastructure right. and the two million ounces of gold for free. Well, and it's not even two million ounces of gold. I mean, let's that's, that's that's cut through it. I mean, it's going to be three million ounces of gold when they come out with their uh, next resource update early next year. I think it is Q1. It's due out. They're drilling now. They just hit um, some very good holes over seventy meters of over two grams per ton gold at the Joss area of their Bear Track deposit. And I know we're getting a bit particular now, but I think and I hope that's why people listen to us for nerdy stuff like that, not just for us to be. Um, disgruntled about the same news that everyone else is disgruntled about. So I'm going to keep going. And now they got two, they got two rings going at our net, which isn't even uh, included in the resource yet. So 
um, that's right next door to their project, uh, the Bear Check project in 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 Idaho. And so they've got cash. They got two weeks going. There'll be more drilling news coming. There'll be uh, metallurgical news coming. There's a restart decision that we're starting to think about because again, it was a former mine. And so you know, Revival Gold sitting down <laughs> lower than it was before it put out those drill results at the beginning of this week at below sixty cents is is crazy to me. And um, so that's one I'd be looking at for sure that I own shares of. And um, crap, I don't know off the top of my head. I just wrote another check for Millrock. So that's a very cheap company that I have followed and invested in and recommended on and off uh, for years and participated in placements. And, you know, um, given it's in the in the prospect generation space, it's always been different projects on Navidad in Mexico or whatever it is. And now we're on to to Mexico or to Alaska with um, an ore body that they think runs right on to properties that they were smart enough to stake in the downturn when everybody was scraping nickels together. So kudos to Greg Beecher for that. Um, so there's two names right there. I don't know. What do you got? I like it. You know, and, and to add to your Millrock comments, they have what's shaping up to be an absolutely massive, massive land package that they were able, as you mentioned, to stake during the downturn. And and the neat thing about that is they have a database that they acquired, I believe four or five years ago, that basically has allowed them to stake everything around Northern Stars Pogo Mine, right? Which is high grade, uh, low, low cost, high margin. Um, and, and we know the best place to look for a mine is right next to a mine, right? And I just have to believe that with that massive land package they've been able to put together, there's got to be multiple discoveries that come out of that. And I truly believe that'll one day be a, a great, great gold camp, not just one high grade, high margin, low cost producing mine. So Millrock's a good one. Um, you know, a company that has been quiet for the past year behind the scenes. They were working very diligently on securing a second um, project that would allow them to become year-round explorers. K2 Gold, chairman of K2 Gold is, of course, John Robbins, who has had, I gotta say, one heck of a run during the bear market. I mean, you know, he's been involved with Great Bear Resources, which went from, you know, 40 cents to, if I'm not mistaken, 550-something at the close today. Um, he called the new Mojave Gold project in California that K2 Gold recently optioned. Um, he called it the best early stage exploration gold camp he's ever seen. Those are big words um, from a, a, a giant in our industry who has seen it all over multiple decades. So they, uh, you know, K2 is running a financing, one and a half million dollar financing. Just a month ago, it sat there at that 22 cent level. It's currently trading at 33 cents. Um, so that's a name for you. And the other one would be Chicana Copper. I got to stop you. I got to oh. stop you before you do Chicana because I heard little, um, I don't know, birdies tweeting today about um, K2 Gold. So I just got to tell you the rumors because that's what we're here to do, right? Oh, let's um, do it. Let's do it. Sources from the Sprott Conference. Ah, you know me too well. Unnamed, um, of course. <laughs> So, um, first of all, clearly people are interested in this financing. Um, It was announced at a million dollars on July 29th. It was up to a million and a half dollars this morning and uh, happened so fast you hadn't even seen it yet, Gerardo. It's been up to three million dollars in the past couple of hours. So um, clearly, clearly appetite for this K2 financing, in addition to it being um, a John Robbins discovery group of companies who you said has a 
extensive track record of success. The gentleman who was at the helm of Great Bear, I, I don't have his name off the top of my head, but I have it on good word that he's the one who found this project in California, brought it to K2, and that's the reason he has uh, joined the K2 board. So all that excitement um, around K2 and, and his joining and his being involved with this uh, property in California has some real buzz going on in in Vancouver, from what I understand. And 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 I'd have to say that the stock is still cheap because I've been involved in K2 for three years. I was looking the other day as I heard started to hear some of these rumors, and I was like, hmm, I know that name. Let me go check them back and check my involvement. And it, they've run three financings since 2016 at the same price, 25 cents. So that's some of the stuff we were talking about at the beginning of this podcast where we're a couple of months into a, a gold bull market here we are at, at gold 1440 and you can write checks to these companies now at the same price you could three years ago and they just added a uh what you called the what say it again the, the, the best uh, the best early stage gold exploration camp john robbins has ever seen it was in the news release that's not hyperbole on my part or me hyping it up i'm, I'm a fan of k2 i think the team technically is one of the smartest uh in the business i think that you know even after after the recent run-up, it's up some 70% over the past month or so. Even after that run-up, the market cap is about $8 million pre-financing, right? So um, as you know, to your point, Nick, a ton of upside, a ton of upside. So exciting property in the Yukon and exciting property in California. Um, John Robbins described it as early stage. However, it should be noted that this is a property that the majors have drilled in the past with great success. Um, back in the eighties, if I'm not mistaken. And so, uh, keep an eye out for K2 gold. Absolutely. What else are you hearing from the conference? You were going to say, well, no, you were going to talk about Chicana. And so I can, I'll chime in after you talk about Chicana too. Go for it. Yeah. You know, two things are happening. I think some paper came loose, uh, for, for, for Chicana copper. There's a lot of people that, you know, gifted themselves, um, very cheap shares early on. And I think some of that paper, um, is probably hitting the market. There's no reason with gold at 1440 and Chicana having one of the better copper gold exploration properties in the space um, for that company with drills turning on the most prospective part of the land package um, after finally getting the modification to the permits that they've been expecting for that to sell off, you know, in a week from the 43 cent level or in a month from the 43 cent level down to where it stands today at 28 and a half Canadian. I mean, you want to go back just a week ago, it was 35 cents, right? And here we are at 28 cents. So I absolutely think that Chicana is a bargain. It's a steal at these levels. It's interesting when I look at these deals and they've been around for a little bit and I was um, fortunate enough to see a slide deck when they were in their earlier stages of um, financing and promotion. So Chicana is a deal uh, Gerardo, that you'll remember that we looked at a long, long time ago before um, everyone knew about the Breccia pipes and how exciting it was and uh, and all that kind of stuff. And 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 we had the opportunity to finance it early on. I forget the price was probably something like 25 or 30 cents. I'd have to go look at the emails. But the point at the time was that it wasn't structured correctly because those involved with putting the deal together had given themselves an exorbitant amount of uh, cheap shares or cheap paper. Uh, those numbers off the top of my head are escaping me, but it was something like 16 million shares at a penny or two pennies and then another 16 million shares at five cents. So you ended up having 32 million shares out um, at something like I have two or three and a half cents or something like that. It doesn't really make a difference when you're talking about two or three and a half cents. Right. And so 
um, what you're seeing now here, flash forward three years, and despite the the juicy and the splashy drill results, and despite the stock running to over uh, a dollar, and despite multiple newsletters write, uh, liking it and writing it up, and and uh, despite the, a constant presence at uh, the conferences and, and doing the right marketing things, you got Chicana sitting here um, down below 30 cents again. And surprise, surprise, it doesn't matter if the drill bit hits. It doesn't matter if the jurisdiction is okay. It doesn't matter even sometimes if the people are the right people. When you got 32 million shares out below four cents a piece, those people are still making multiple, multiple, multiple baggers at 28 cents. And so when you got escrow or lockup agreements, dates that come hint, hint at the beginning of the month or at the second of the month, what happens? Um, those gentlemen, for what what reason are those groups or, or whoever they are, and, and maybe I'll, I'll get riled up enough here in a second to go into some of that, is that um, they're selling because, you know, what, one group wants to do something, they want to finance, they want these terms, or, or they want consulting fees, or they want more options to, to hold their shares, or we're going to blow out our paper. And these are the things that go on behind the scenes. And so um, everything was hunky-dory with with Chicana a couple of years ago when shares were were over a dollar. But now you got people sort of at each other's throats a little bit, some of the groups that have the cheap paper from early on, and you have people quite content to make, hey, shit, if I got three or four cent paper, I'm, I'm walking away pretty good at 28 cents. We're in a new bull market. I'll take my profits. Wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. And I'm on to my next deal. So that's what you're seeing in Chicana Copper right now is you're seeing people content. They're not selling at a loss. They're just blowing out their cheap paper that they've had for a long time because the rest grows are now hitting and sorry if that didn't make sense or sorry if that was a rant but that's what's going on no 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 i love i love the detail and it's great for people to understand what happens behind the scenes with most of these deals this is an exclusive to chicana right and there's a lot of times where i'll participate in a deal just because of the share structure which is the first thing i was taught to look at um and and then the people and then we can get into the project and everything else but that should absolutely be on the top of your list that doesn't mean they all work out we know in this bear market most of them thus far have not however again like k2 gold which was just 20 cents a a month or two ago um, these things can go from 20 to 35, 40 cents really quick. And then you get to, you know, you get to actually drilling and you hit something. And before you know it, you're a dollar, $2 or in great bears case, 550. It happens very quickly when you have a supportive market. That market is here. Um, let's talk some more rumors from the conference. What else have you heard, Nick? And this will actually be, you know, real-time catch-up because you and I haven't had a chance to catch up um, on, on on the conference this week. I did not attend. Um, you did not attend. Uh, we have people that are friendly to us that have attended. So I know we've both heard some things, but what else, uh, what else is the rumor mill churning out? Um, that attendance was about the same as it was uh, last year, which is kind of understandable because strong gold prices really didn't materialize until sort of uh, June, July. And I think it's probably difficult at that point for people to make travel plans and get hotel rooms and this and that. Um, so we might not see um, the the nature of the gold bull market reflected in, in conference attendance yet. I'll be interested to see what the attendance and the um, sentiment is like at the Silver and Gold Summit in San Francisco in September, and then immediately following that at the at the New Orleans conference, which I'll be excited to see you at. And then, other than that, you know what the main takeaway I heard is um, 
is that, you know, Vancouver and the Vancouverites never change, right? Um, you know, here we are in a, a, a new bull market, a new resource bull market. And, and we know guys that have quality deals that own um, um, or management of companies that have good assets that should be economic assets, that they should be pouring everything into developing and advancing and getting their share prices back to where they were uh, in 2016 and, and, and prior to that. But instead, um, <laughs> they're content to form new deals um, in the manner of uh, or the vein in which I just described Chicana. So we're talking about, you know, guys that have 100, 200, 300 million dollar, 400 million dollar companies out there um, that should be the the bulk of their attention. And yet they want to start new any two cent, three cent deals. I've got a new property here. We got a geologist. Let's put these guys together. And so this guy's telling me about it. And he's like, this guy's involved and this guy's involved and this guy's involved. And he names like four people that are involved in this new gold deal. And I'm thinking to myself, fuck, I own shares in all those guys' other deals and they're down. What the fuck are they doing putting together a new gold deal and pitching everybody on it? And, and I think at the end of the day, that'll just never change. And so the question becomes, so are you doing the deal? I asked the guy I was talking to. <laughs> so are, are we doing the deal or what? And I, we, there was no conclusion on that. I don't know what's going to happen, but you know how it goes, man. And it'll, it'll be one of those things. we got to look at the structure because everyone likes the asset and everyone likes the respective geologist that's behind it. And so we'll see how these yahoos put the put the structure together and and we'll take it from there. But that's what goes on, man. Um, yeah. And that's the that's the biggest takeaway for me. Yeah, you know, and, I'll be, and I'll one be of the big, reasons yeah. I, and one of the reasons I didn't go, if I'm being honest. I, I don't blame you. Um, I, I, I can tell you every every trader and every speculator in this space should know their weaknesses, right? My weakness, I have two, and I'm very clear about them. I'm usually early on stuff. Like for whatever reason, I can see a trend. It makes perfect sense. It's a great assets, great share structure, great people. Guess what? You get a bear market, you're going to be wrong eight out of 10 times. That's just the way bear markets work. If you pick the right asset and you pick the right people, when things turn, those companies should be getting busy to turn it around, a la K2 Gold, which is doing a great job with it now, right? They're gaining some traction. They're bringing in some capital. They've kept a good share structure. They've got some great properties and great people behind them. And I, I firmly believe that that has a, a, a great shot um, at turning into a big success. You know, a position that for me was down 50% just a couple of weeks ago is all of a sudden up 10, 11, 12%. That's how quick it can turn. Um, so that's my first comment. The second thing that I always do uh, to a fault is I continue to support management teams that I like that are respectful of share structures despite um, inactivity. You know, and I can name a couple of names. Hannon Metals is a name. Um, I, I, I'm a fan of Michael Hudson. I like the approach that he's taken in Ireland. I love the land package he's put together in Peru. Um, but the bottom line is, you know, they're, they're, they're in a situation where they got to raise money again and they're down to six cents Canadian. And so a decision has to be made at some point. Do I keep writing checks at a nickel and a dime or 15 cents or 20 cents as I have in the past? Or does the company decide to wait for a better base metals market, which, you know, right now with the, with the escalation of this trade war, which I keep saying isn't sustainable and it's not, but it keeps escalating. Um, you know, we have copper down below 260, you know, it's, 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 we're in the 250 range. We're at two, 259 right now. And so do you keep writing checks or do you scale back and say, Hey, put it on care and maintenance until you get a better market. 
And, and, and frankly, I am of the belief that you keep supporting the stock as much as possible um, within reason. And eventually that five cent stock, you know, ends up being 50 cents, 60 cents, 70 cents. Um, the problem is it can take months and sometimes years, depending on the rough market. So have a defined timeline, everybody. Have a, a risk reward analysis and then when you expect that reward for the risk that you're taking. Um, and then just understand where the company is. Um, the five cent companies aren't the busy companies right now, right? They don't have the drills turning because in order to do that, they're going to have to do some dilutive financing. So it should be interesting. This is the exciting part of a bull market in gold um, where everything is still very depressed because of how ridiculous, how ridiculous the bear market was. So that's my rant on that. Well, and that's just it. And so I was having this conversation with you. I probably even on this podcast three or four or five weeks ago, and I was having the same sentiments. I'm at this place in the where it's like, do I want to continue to write checks or do I want to chase these new cheaper deals? And yep. and I was I was content to to prioritize more my portfolio. And I was like, I made lists. I was like, these are the companies that I want to continue to support and that I believe in that I think have the the most upside in a in this new bull market and those are the ones i'm going to continue to write checks for so why um uh, and i get i get your point about supporting management teams that are respectful of share structure etc but, but but why would i write a deal for this uh, check for this new gold deal that i was just describing that has a lot of people i know involved when when i could go and buy more shares of revival gold that has a 32 million market cap that has infrastructure that has money to drill that doesn't need to finance that is covered by analysts etc so uh that's where i am just buying quality names that i'm comfortable with that's how that's the side of the coin i've come down on there's a lot out there shameless plug you want access to one of the best the best in my opinion private placement service in the business that's nick's notebook you want access to some high risk high reward ideas in the junior resource space heavily geared towards and favoring the explorers that would be Junior Mining Monthly on my end if you want access to a service that provides you in-depth research across multiple sectors, crypto, cannabis, spirits, resources. I would recommend Mr. Hodge's other service, which is Early Advantage. So there you go. There's three ideas. I'll, I'll plug one more because I think it's one of the best, if not the best, um, technically focused a newsletter in the resource business, and that has to be Exploration Insights by Mr. Joe Mazumdar and, of course, uh, Mr. Brent Cook. They do a great job. I don't normally plug other people's letters, but that's one of the few ones. I believe the only one of two that I actually subscribe to. So, yeah, there's some names. I mean, you know, whether it's my service or Nick's service or, or Joe and Brent's service, um, this is the time to start getting ideas together and figuring out if you're going to speculate in the space, get in there now while things are still cheap. Do not wait for the Barron's headline when gold is 1700 bucks an ounce um, to start saying, no, I want to jump on this train. It'll probably be too late and I'll probably be selling a little bit of my today stock to you by then. Choo-choo. I love it. Let's talk the Fed. Uh, the Fed cut 25 basis points. We kind of knew that was going to happen. Surprise, surprise. No, not surprising at all. The thing that went unnoticed by the market, and I wrote about this in Junior Mining Monthly a couple of months ago. You know, I, I speculated that the Fed would not only cut, but that the Fed would likely um, stop its, its, its tightening program, right? The balance sheet roll off that it was doing. And so, you know, I know we've had four straight down days in the Dow, uh, but guess what, people? We're only 3% off an all-time high. Good gracious. Like, let the animals time to rest so they can get back to it, right? 
Yeah, I'm with you on that. We can get back to all-time highs, especially because um, other markets in the world are already in negative rate territory. And the Fed, um, let's be honest, they left themselves room to cut. The reason the market went down, the Dow Jones Industrial Average went down 330 points after the announcement because it was it wanted its half-point cut and it didn't get it. And so that's just a little temper tantrum, right? But make no mistake, there's going to be further additional cuts, even though Jerome Powell said yesterday that there was not going to be that 100%. They're going to have to cut further, and that's going to be the... That's going to be the fuel to, to, to additional uh, stock market highs. I'm remiss, and I was remiss, that I should have been writing more about volatility as opposed to selling my retirement funds because, man, I would have really looked smart if I flipped that money into a volatility fund for a week or so because, man, it's really reared its ugly head. But um, it's maybe not too at this late, point, Nick. It's not too late. Expect- I, I guarantee you will see higher Dow. And then people forget about the volatility and, oh, we're in for it the last half of this year. I'll just leave that there. But I'm telling everybody right now, get ready. It's going to be fun. Well, I'm excited. Good stuff. Good stuff. And, and, and I cut in. My apologies. Continue, please. No, I mean, I, I think we, we wrapped it up pretty good. The, 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 the Fed is going to have to cut more. They're back into a corner. You've explained it well. You, I always say you, you understand this and explain it better than I do. And, and so that's it. I mean, um, the stock market can return to new highs. And the omen, um, and it's your omen, it's not mine, it's that, um, you know, the dollar and gold are moving stronger together. And so that's like, yes. you, you explain that because I mean, well, I think that's, I, I, to me, yeah, that's I, like the, a dark sky, right? It's like the gathering clouds. Yeah. I, I think I've talked about it on the podcast a lot and I, I, and I know I've written about it again. I was writing about this a couple of years ago, not a couple of months ago where, you know, I won't believe the gold rally until it rallies alongside the dollar and it rallies alongside the major U S indices. I remember a couple of years ago when I first wrote a piece, and I don't remember if it was for Outsider Club or for Junior Mining Monthly. I said that and I had somebody email me privately asking me if I was just reciting that to the sheep is how they phrased it. Or if I really sincerely believe that I said, well, like everything else that I write, I absolutely sincerely believe that. And I think a lot of people thought I was crazy because nobody imagined a scenario where gold goes up when the dollar goes up when this U.S. stock market goes up. And I think there's a lot of traders, investors, and speculators who have never traded, invested, or speculated in a negative interest rate environment. And so people are predisposed to have a judgment of the present and the future, of course, by the most recent past. And for for a lot of people, a lot of people don't know what $14 trillion in negative yielding U.S. debt looks like. A lot of people don't know what it's like to have a negative 0.48 10-year in Germany. These are records that are being set on a weekly basis. The other thing I was telling people to watch, what I called the canary in the coal mine, right, was the 10-year. That, to me, is as important as the dollar, right? And those two are interlinked, obviously. But as soon as the 10-year broke two, when the Fed was talking, that's when gold really popped. And it's funny because I put it on Twitter. When gold had hit 1425, I said, just watch. Watch the 10-year. 10 years is going to go down and the gold's going to shoot up. And within like 30 minutes, it was hilarious. Gold shot up an extra 30 bucks, right? And the 10 year went down to 1.86. So um, we're headed closer to zero in the 10 year here in the US. Europe has no choice. In September, Europe, the ECB, Miss Lagarde will continue to expand the asset bubble failed experiment that the Eurozone is. 
It won't work much like it hasn't worked in Japan. And we're going to have to cut again. I don't know if we cut in September. The market's going to have to throw a big tantrum. And it might because it knows the Fed listens. But if the market here in the U.S. throws a big tantrum and the Fed does not cut, you can guarantee yourself a cut in December. That's absolutely happening. And I I say that because I don't believe the Fed's going to cut during an election year in 2020. So I, I, I believe that if we don't get a cut in September... We get an aggressive one, maybe 50 basis points in December before the year's out um, to give some cover for the election cycle and not meddle. Unless, again, there's a global contagion, which is very possible. Are we in an election year? I hadn't noticed. <laughs> I know you want to talk debates, Nick. I know you watch because you I, you tweeted a couple of things. Of course, I follow you on Twitter and, and uh, opi- opine often, but you care to share your insights? What would you think thus far? First of all, I have always loved presidential debates, whether it's um, the one-on-one as we get closer to the general election or it's in these preliminary uh, stages. And it's one of the few reasons I turn on the old tube box. And I had two nights this week to revel in all the debate glory of the 20 (laughs) candidates taking the stage to cross-talk each other among the three hosts that we needed (laughs) To ask them questions uh, that they only had seemingly 4.2 seconds to respond to before they were cut off and the host tried to start the next little piece of drama between the people on stage. And so did you watch Gerardo? I did. I I, I did. Can I ask the the, the Captain Obvious question here? Sure. Why the fuck do do the CNN hosts get to talk more than the candidates that are there debating? Oh, my God. I don't know. Jake Tapper for crying out loud. It seems like by the time he's done, like it literally takes Jake Tapper longer to ask the question than the candidate has to respond to the question. Yes. It's like, yeah, it's like. And so it'll take him 30 seconds to ask the question and they have 15 seconds and it's um, Miss Gabbard, your time is done. Miss Gabbard, your time is done. And then he's just talking over her for 10 seconds and you can't hear what either of them are saying. And then it's the next piece of drama. Um, Miss Harris, what do you, Miss Harris, what do you think about Mr. O'Rourke's statement that he didn't like your heels? Bunch of malarkey. <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. It's just like, they're instigating. They're not trying to yeah. peel back the onion. They're not trying to meanwhile, build a, subs- yeah. meanwhile, a substantive it's discussion. Horrible. It's literally, it's, they said this. What do you think about that? That's like the question. Yeah. Meanwhile, there's kids in, in detention camps. There's kids, you know, at the border separated from their families being sent to court. They can barely talk. They can't read or write. They have no attorney and they're meant to represent themselves in court. They're held indefinitely. Um, in, in, in piss poor conditions, um, I, I, I talked a couple of podcasts ago about the pimping of kids and, and, and just how ugly it is in our country's history to, to not only be doing it to the kids, you know, but to actually be profiting the way that we're profiting from it makes it twice as nasty. Right. Um, so I won't get into that again. But, um, yeah, needless to say, there's a lot of real things that we could be talking about. Um, we could talk about, for sure. Yeah. So asking about the shoes. Come on, man. Well, I made that up, but that's what it sounds like, basically. It's like... No, but you're not wrong, though. There's questions that are very similar to that. (laughs) And so, you know, I just... It's important, first of all. Democracy is important. America is important. And so you should educate yourself. You should watch these debates to get a sense of the candidates because it's easy when you're, you know, looking in someone's eyes and you're watching somebody's face to see um, if they're being sincere, if they're, um, you know... 
talking about things they really believe in or if they're just given uh, lip service. And, and so that's what I try to do. And I tuned in. And if you don't mind, I just want to talk for a little bit about um, some of the candidates and, and some of the takeaways, some of the things I liked and, and some of the things I I didn't like it, if that's okay with you. Oh, I, I would love your insights. Again, this, yeah, no, no, we're, you're, we're, we're co-hosts, right? This is something that, uh, again, we haven't talked about privately, so I would love to hear your take, your opinion. I, of course, have a couple myself, but I would love I would love for you to opine, Mr. Hodge. And I want to tie in the fourth turning here, which we touched on a bit last week that has to do with uh, the turning of generations and the replacement of generations, specifically um, this fourth turning that we're in is a crisis. And yes, so yes, um, yes. the millennials are supposed to replace uh, the generation that came four before them. And that generation was the GI generation, the people who were born uh, 1900 to 1924 that, that uh, came of age in the depression that went on to defeat Hitler, uh, et cetera. And so uh, they are not dying. And uh, millennials are supposed to rise up in their image um, and take on the same archetype, which is a uh, hero. You don't want to hear it, but millennials are the hero generation. There's nomads uh, uh, and there's artists and they're yep. prophets and they would yep. apply to other people. Yeah, like, and we need, um, Yeah, and we need the artists and the prophets and we absolutely need the heroes right now. That's right. And so the heroes are supposed to rise up, take control of the institutions, uh, remake the face of the country in a, in a better image and we can all get on with our lives. But unfortunately, it's going to be a financial mess um, a geopolitical mess, and there might even be a, a, a war. So it's 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 not all peaches and cream, and it's going to take another 10 years. But anyway, all that to say that it needs to be a young person that represents the Democrats. And I speak to you not as a Democrat or a Republican, but as an independent libertarian. And so I'm just giving advice here. This is free consultation. Joe Biden is too old. He can't do it. He can't unify the young kids who are supposed to be the ones that are taking the mantle anyway. It needs to be a young one. He's he's stuttering and I'm not making fun of people with stutters. I'm just saying that that doesn't instill confidence. It means you're outdated. It means that you're past your prime. It means that um, you've passed the do not consume by date. So I think Joe Biden has to be out. And he didn't um, used to stutter, which is worth noting, right? It shows, yeah, it, it shows it, deterioration. Speaking to your point about we're not knocking age, we're knocking the effects, the natural effects that age has on some people. Is Donald Trump old? Yes. Did you see his fucking speech this last week where he's like, blah, 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 you know, blamed it on the teleprompter. <laughs> I mean, like, come on, man. But I, 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 I digress. I think, I think he cured cancer and AIDS last night. So we should, we're all good. <laughs> Yes, and then he encouraged people, or, or he basically saluted the people that broke into Representative Cummings' house as well. But again, I digress. No, no, no more attention to that guy because we already know what that is. Incredible. Um, two, um, cop Mala Harris is a cop, so you need to know that. Yep. Um, Worse than a cop, she's a, she's a prosecutor cop that arrested thousands of people for low-level infractions and laughed about it, and now is a crusader. But again, back to you. Tulsi Gabbard hit her really, really hard after um, I think it was Biden and Cory Booker opened up on her her record as a prosecutor in California. And then Gabbard, who has no shot in hell as a representative from uh, Hawaii, just opened up a can of whoop ass about her um, putting people in jail for 
uh, marijuana and not revealing evidence that could have exonerated people on death row and this, that, and the other thing. And the look on Kamala Harris's face was priceless. She was just like, motherfucker, I'm God. And so see you, Kamala, on to the next one. Done. Um, yeah, that was dead Corey, on arrival. Cory Booker impressed me more than I thought he would. Leave it there. Um, I like Pete Buttigieg, Pete Buttigieg is currently the candidate I would get out of bed and vote for if I were a Democrat. I wouldn't go if it were Bernie Sanders versus Trump. I would pull the third party lever. If it were Beto versus Donald Trump, I would pull the third party lever. If it were Buttigieg versus Trump, I would likely vote for Buttigieg at this point. I really like that guy. I like Ted. I like Julian Castro a lot more than I liked Julian Castro last year. And again, you know, he's a local kid from San Antonio. Um, and his, his, the substance behind his immigration policy, and this is something that's not recent. This is something that this country, you know, should have addressed um, a, at least a couple of presidential elections ago, our, our immigration policy, right? Um, the substance behind his plan is, is thorough. Um, I think he's refreshing. I think he's young. I think he's got a great public track record. Um, and I think that, you know, he has that ability to, to bring people together. I don't know how much the lack of fundraising, um, will affect him because of course money is speech in this country. The Supreme court said so, and he is not the biggest campaign, um, you know, fundraiser guy, but it's good to see somebody speaking in an engaging, intelligent way that's not meant to divide the country, but actually is meant to address issues in a real way. Agree. Him and Mr. Andrew Yang are in the same spot. They are currently the two uh, candidates who are closest to making the stage uh, for the next debate. So right now, eight people have already qualified uh, to make the September debates and uh, Castro uh, do you say you say Julian when you say it? You say Julian, right? Well, he doesn't speak Spanish, so I call him Julian. <laughs> oh, fuck <it>. <laughs> <laughs> No shade. It's not his fault. His parents didn't want him to speak Spanish. But he doesn't get the Julian pass because he doesn't speak Spanish. So Julian it is. There it is. All right. So Julian Castro and Andrew Yang, they're very close. So the criteria to make the next uh, uh, podium is you have to have 130,000 individual donations and you have to have uh, 2% polling in four individual polls. And so each of those two individuals, Julian and Andrew Yang, have the amount of donations they need. They just need to check off uh, a couple more 2% margins on the polls. Anyway, I was also impressed with Andrew Yang. So my takeaway here is that for me, uh, the takeaway was that Pete Buttigieg and Andrew Yang are the surgeon candidates, or at least the ones that are talking the most sense um, and are younger and that's it. I like those two guys a lot and I, I'm interested to see what they have to say, um, when they're in, um, sort of a smaller field, hopefully they make it that far and, um, really get to put their ideas up against Sanders and Warren, who we haven't mentioned yet and who were just batshit crazy. I mean, I get some of what they're saying. I totally get the, uh, insurance costs and, uh, bankers are criminals. I've been writing about that stuff for 10 years, but, um, come on, folks, the socialism and the math is just not who we are as a as a country. It's not the answer that we need right now. And quite frankly, they just sound like two little whiny bitches. I do not disagree with you um, at all. We'll leave that there. I will say 
the kind of country we are right now is one that is continually being shot up by young white nationalists. And let me be clear, if it was a Mexican militant that kept continually shooting up festivals and concerts and, you know, and they came out with the Pancho Villa fucking manifesto, I would target that dude. If it was a black militant guy that had, you know, um, whatever, whatever manifesto about, you know, screw whitey and every other race. I, and that's the stuff that was found on their social media. I would profile that profile. However, in America and elsewhere, I don't, you know, the last five to 10 mass shootings, you know, Dylan Roof at the church, Sweden, Norway here. I mean, you name it. Um, it tends to follow a pattern of young white nationalists. And of course, right now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about Gilroy where, you know, a six-year-old boy got killed and three-year-old got shot and, you know, several people died. Many more were injured. And, and, you know, as, as much as I give cops shit and rightfully so, and I could this week for about an hour because Dallas and Arlington's police department just completely fucking out of control. But I'm going to talk about that next week. Um, kudos to the officers that were on site. It's, it's said that they, they, they were able to kill this, young man within a minute and 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 he was able to let off 45 50 rounds i believe it was with an ak um and i can't imagine the damage that would have been done had he not been killed within that first minute so kudos to the police department out there um yeah i you know for all the demonization of 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 you know people in baltimore and and, and elsewhere and you know the border and the immigrants and all this the same type of person keeps shooting up large crowds of people, innocent people. It's not even targeted. You know, at least when it's in the inner city, if it's if it's gang on gang violence, you kind of know what that is, right? Um, this is different, and I can't explain it. I don't understand it. Uh, do you have any insights there? Fucking bulletproof backpacks are being sold um, here in Austin well, at Office Max and Office Depot. It's one of the hot items this year. Yeah, it was last year, unfortunately, as well. And those bulletproof backpacks have been around for a couple of years and unfortunately indicative of the the times we're in. I hate to take the mental health route, but it pairs nicely with some of the topics being discussed in the debate. And that I happen to agree with is that we simply need better um, health coverage and better access. Now I sound like I'm a fucking candidate for president of the United States. <laughs> we need better access to the mental health people for in this country. And it's true. I mean, you know, if you want to go see a therapist or something, you're typically paying out of pocket because they're oftentimes not accepting insurance. And so um, I think these, you know, not all of them, of course, and I got no blanket solution. I'll give you all those caveats, but I think a lot of these, a lot of these people need to seek treatment or need to be um, uh, forced to seek treatment by their friends and their loved ones when they show uh, signs of, of mental instability or hatred or, or whatever it is. And so, uh, you know, that's the, that's the main thing for me. I'm, I'm a second amendment proponent. I'm, I'm all for As background checks yep. and I'm all for, you know, responsible gun people. ownership. <laughs> Not, exactly. You know, my guns are in saves, they're in fingerprint saves. Nobody has, you know, I do all that stuff, of course, but I, I for me, it's not a gun thing. Um, you know, anyone can get a gun if they really want to get a gun and go shoot somebody up. So the prevalence of guns for me isn't what it is. It's, it's lack of opportunity it's it's uh, vitriolic speech in our political discourse. It's um, and then taking those ideas and manifesting them in your head on chat rooms uh, on the internet and uh, uh, 
uh, and then going so far down the rabbit hole that you know you're you become xenophobic or you think that your fellow uh, countrymen uh, uh, are your enemies because of uh, what they believe or, or a combination of those factors. And so, um, for me, again, a symptom of some of the tumultuous times we're in and, and um, the lack of economic opportunity and. Um, the wealth, the drastic wealth disparity in the country. And I think all those things are factors that um, cause these young kids to do uh, some of the heinous things that they've done. Why do you think, or, or maybe I'm wrong, maybe it's the media's coverage of it, but you know, I've, I've, I've researched mass shootings in, in, in the past couple of years. Why do you think it continues to be? And, and when I talk mass shootings, again, I'm not talking gang violence where I can explain that to you. You know, if it's a neighborhood versus neighborhood thing, if it's a region versus region thing, those things are usually tied to drugs and profit centers and all of that. That is explainable, right? That is targeted violence against another group that's also using violence. Um, I get that. Cartel versus cartel. I understand that makes perfect sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me that the profile usually tends to be usually young and almost always white with far right extremist leanings that don't do targeted shootings of politicians or, you know, institutions that are fucking them that, that they feel are oppressing them. It's always lately, especially, um, mass shootings on innocent people of all colors and backgrounds just last week we talked about it was the positive story the largest garlic festival and how great that was and have a great weekend and love each other and treat each other good is how we how we signed off last week and then I I turned on my, yeah go ahead no i couldn't believe it when i saw that i had never even heard of the gilroy garlic festival and i thought it was a cool thing to discuss and then the next day i saw the shooting and i was disgusted i was like fuck what if somebody went to the Gilroy garlic festival because i mentioned it on the podcast which is probably impossible because the podcast didn't come out until monday but that's what i was thinking i was like shit that's fucking horrible yeah and, and so again like every time that happens every time i hear you know serial killer arrested <laughs> i immediately stereotype but it's not a stereotype if it's right my stereotype is always probably gonna be a white dude and then if it's a mass shooting it's probably gonna be a young white dude and most of the times it is yeah, and I don't know about the untargeted. You would think that, you know, if you have a political message, uh, you would want to kill a certain type of person uh, right. or a representative or someone that embodied the ideals that you purported to hate. But the randomness is something I don't get. And that's and the most perplexing people, part to me. That's I think the a part lot of I can't wrap my head around. It, quite frankly, right. I think a lot of people don't get it. And the only thing that comes to mind or the only inkling that I would have and I don't even know who I am to speculate on this is that they think that's going to get them the most recognition or get people to talk about them and their cause and their ideas the most. I mean, beyond that, what else could it be other than they just have such a hatred of their their fellow man that they're just willing to go to the most populated place and start popping off to see, you know, to inflict the most damage that they can. Yeah. Yeah. Tough, 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 tough. Tough. Um, and again, it, it goes back to these debates, right? Let's tie that back in and the quality of the questions. Like the way that we deal with mental health in this country is by sending people to prison. Prisons that aren't equipped to deal with mental health issues. Um, so they medicate away at an inflated cost, mind you, um, these people's issues. And the bottom line is that 97% of all criminals will see the streets again. So if you just lock someone up for, I don't care how long, three years, 10 years, 30 years, 
if those people see the streets again and you haven't done anything meaningful to address real, like the actual what prisons are supposed to be rehabilitation, um, there's a reason why the recidivism rate is almost 70% in this country and has been consistently for decades on end. It's because for decades on end, um, we've done absolutely nothing to address mental health in this country. Um, and, and in the past 10 years specifically, we've done a great job in America of privatizing and profiting um, pe- uh, uh, people's issues. Um, and it's sick. It's just like the detention centers where the goal isn't to, to, to catch the most violent um, criminals. There, there's laws for that and keep violent people from outside our borders away. That's that's not the point. The point is to keep and hold people as long as possible so we can milk the federal government for the money. And the money goes to private prisons and the private prisons are owned by private shareholders. And those are the people that are pimping kids. And it's the same thing with mental health. Anybody, and we all know somebody that that, that has mental health issues um, can speak to the challenges of just finding help. It's hard enough for a lot of these people to admit they need help, let alone find it in a meaningful way. And that's even if you have money. I mean, you know, I, I don't notice you tweet that many other Kennedys died recently. They just weren't related to the famous Kennedy clan, right? But, you know, the young lady, I believe 22-year-old Kennedy, a uh, young woman um, that passed away, you know, that it, it's rumored it was a drug overdose and obviously tied to some sort of mental health issue. But even the rich have a tough time. Um, getting access to quality care and, and admitting there is a problem. So can you imagine what it's like for somebody that, that isn't in the, in the, in the upper class? I can, I can for sure. And so exactly. and not just mental health, you, you started off that, that, that run with the, uh, with the, uh, the war on drugs. And so I'm going to just tie this whole thing back to Biden, which is how we got started on this rant. And so he stands up there and he says, we got this new crying plan to, you know, reduce jail time for first offenders and rehabilitation and this and that. And Cory Booker's like, man, fuck you. You're the one who said, I'm proud to have my name on every crime bill since 1985. I'm proud to be tough on crime. I'm, I'm a leader of the war on drugs. You're the one who was saying that shit all through the nineties, Joe, yep. like you can't retract that shit now. Yeah. And so for me, it's I was loving it, dude. I was like jumping up and down in the kitchen. My wife was like, "What are you doing?" I was like, "Get him, Corey, get him." I thought it was great. I thought it was great. <laughs> I, it was great that Ms. Harris had her prosecuting ass handed to her, and she's don't get me wrong, she's intelligent, she's qualified, and if you want uh, uh, the Democratic Party to be the Law and Order Party, same way that the Republican Party is a Law and Order Party, hint hint, ja- laugh laugh, right? Um, Miss Harris is your candidate, but be clear about what you're getting with her. You're getting a prosecutor that played the game the way every other vicious prosecutor without a moral compass plays the game, right? I'm not talking about all the prosecutors. I'm talking about the bad ones. And there's a lot of them. And she was one of those. There was no mercy or sympathy for fellow man. It was all about the numbers and upward mobility for herself. So yeah, when Cory Booker laid it on Joe Biden, I thought it was great. I thought it was fair. I thought it was factual above all else. Forget who you like and don't like. Let's get away from that as a country. Let's let, let's start voting ideas and actions, right? Well, that's what was so great about it. I was like, oh man, everyone like cringes because it's like, you're not supposed to say that. And it's like, that's exactly what you're supposed to say. What happened and the truth. And if it offends somebody, well, then it should, they should be offended, right? And so I was loving it. I love it. last thing. Last thing, and then I'll shut up about the debates, is my man Andrew Yang at the end just totally breaking down the fourth wall when he had his two minutes to wrap up and saying that this was just a stupid reality show and it's stupid stuff like these dumb debates that get us reality show presidents like Trump. I was like, get it, Andrew, get it. 
I, I, I thought it was awesome. The last point, and then we'll leave the election alone, and then we'll quit ranting on, 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 on everything and, and let everybody have a great Monday, right? Um, the, the last point that I thought was very fair is when they went after Biden and, and the Obama administration for their immigration policy failures. I touched on yes, that last week. Yes, for the deportation. Or, exactly. Yep. I talked about that last week or the week before, how it's not just this administration. This is this administration has, you know, dog whistled and, and cat called, you know, the, the white nationalist side and, and more, more racist side of this country, um, to be sure. But let's be clear. Obama is the one that promised immigration reform. He campaigned on that. He said within the first year of my administration, that'll be a cornerstone of my my my, my policy. And, you know, he instead pivoted to health care. We can have a debate about whether it was a good pivot or not. Um, but but he failed on that and then got reelected and failed to do anything meaningful again. So this goes back many, many decades. Like I said before, many, many, many um, presidents. Uh, we haven't had meaningful reform since Ronald Reagan. That should tell you something. Um, and yeah, again, like mental health, like the gun violence, like our infrastructure on a lesser note, um, on a less serious note, I should say. We have a lot of real things to be talking about, people. Well, and that's what the guy, um, Mayor Buttigieg said, because he's like my age, right? And so yep. that's what he has to like needle them with. He said, you guys have been talking about these same ideas since I was in high school. And yep. I was like, ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to Saturday Night Live again. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Um, I know you wanted to talk about mosquitoes. Well, we've ranted very long. So just very quickly, mosquitoes are really, really, really gangster individuals. So um, take a guess. Like how many humans do you think over the course of history mosquitoes have killed? Just uh-huh. take a stab. Uh, let's go with... Let me see. I'm going to go with three and a half million. Three and a half million people would be a good guess. And that's a lot of people. That's like... 1% of the U.S. population right now, because there's 300 million of us, but it would be drastically too low. Mosquitoes have killed. Are you ready? Are you really ready for this? Give it to me. Over 50 billion people. Holy half. smokes. B? Billion? Yeah, B. Over half of the 108 billion humans that have ever roamed the earth in our 200,000 or so years of existence, over half or around half, 50 billion of us went out because of the damn tiny mosquito, because of West Nile or malaria or whatever disease it was that those tiny little pests were transmitting at the time. And so the only thing I wanted to say about that was, well, there's a couple of things. I always have more than one thing to say, but first of all, fuck mosquitoes. Second of all, (laughs) we have we have come a very long way in combating them. I mean, like Bill Gates himself eradicated some diseases in Africa just by providing like mosquito nets, for example, and letting people not get bit anymore. But we're making progress. But we are on the cusp of making like the most progress ever in our battle against the mosquito. And make no mistake, it is a battle to the death. It's a battle for survival. Life finds a way, as Mr. Goldblum said in the famous dinosaur movie. And (laughs) when they're killing 50 billion of your brothers and your sisters, you need to find a way to kill those motherfuckers or they're going to take out the whole species. And I don't think any of us want that to happen. And so we are trying to edit their genes. So we're going to introduce sterile mosquitoes so they can't reproduce anymore. And we're working on it. That's all I have to report. Go science. That is insane. Go science. Go science. That is insane. 
absolutely insane. 50 billion. Crazy times, man. Crazy times. Damn mosquitoes. Damn fucking mosquitoes. I'm going to be paranoid all weekend now, Nick. Thanks. And so it opens up the question, you know, about the butterfly effect and should we really be killing all the mosquitoes? And so we'll have that debate, I'm sure. But as it currently sits, given the information I've in, in, in taken or took in over the past 35 years I've been here, I currently say kill the fucking mosquitoes. Kill the mosquitoes it is. Existential <laughs> threat to say the least. 50 billion is a lot of fucking people. I should say so. I'm walking around feeling lucky all of a sudden. <laughs> Kill them all. I, I love it. Well, listen, it should be an interesting week. I'm curious to see if the Dow bounces back. I'm curious to see what the dollar does. We barely touched on that. It hit, you know, the dollar index hit, I think, multi-year highs. I keep saying it's going to triple digits very, very soon. Nobody believes me yet. Everybody says the death of the dollar is among us. It will happen, but it won't happen for years, everybody. So buckle up. I see $1,500 gold in the cards. I see the dollar index hitting triple digits. I see the Dow hitting 30,000, but maybe not before a pullback to 25,000. Um, it should be an awesome, fun, volatile three to four months to end the year here. Enjoy your trip next week, Gerardo. I know you're on your annual pilgrimage to Chicago. I hope your Cubs win and I hope you have some fun. I can guarantee fun. I can't guarantee the Cubs winning, though we are battling it out with the Cardinals for first place. We're about a game out. Competitive division, Wrigley Field is by far, it's not even close, my favorite baseball stadium. I am, of course, biased, and I'm looking forward to, one, traveling the country with the boys and my wife. We like to make the drive. We don't fly. We like to drive across the country. We stop by in Memphis. We have a great dinner. We stay the night. We get rest, and then we get up in the morning and continue on. Um, so we're, we're, we're excited to do it, um, and we'll be back at it next week, everybody. I'll let you know how it goes. We'll see ya. Episode 30, Milestone Episode, says Tim. Shout out to Mr. Timothy Hicks, who uh, does a lot of the brilliant audio video work for us behind the scenes. This has been Episode 30 of Bizarro World. I am Gerardo Del Real, along with my co-host, Mr. Nick Hodge. Have a great week. Be nice to each other. Love each other. Take care of each other. That's it. Have a good one, guys. See ya.